1: I started this show about four years ago, a little more than that, with the idea of bringing a wide variety of people to share their ideas, their thoughts, their nuggets of information, because I believe that success leaves clues. And so if you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to get around people who are doing really cool things so that you can be inspired. And that's what this show is all about. And this episode is co-produced With the Austin Technology Council. This is the first of many episodes we're gonna do where I'm gonna be bringing you some of Austin's most amazing entrepreneurs and people who are really contributing to this entrepreneurosphere that is happening here in Austin, Texas. And it doesn't matter if you live in Austin, if you live in the Silicon Valley, New York, Denver, any of the tech centers, or anywhere else, you know that Austin is the place to be. And so I'm gonna bring some of the coolest people onto the show. So today is no different. Today, I have Rob Kesmarek, and he is the managing director of Project 202. Now, Rob and and the people he works with, they are transforming businesses by helping design better experiences, and I'm going to let Rob unpack some of that. Hey, Rob, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
2: Thank you, Tom. Man, you really built me up here.
1: This is- <laughs> <laughs> Only the coolest entrepreneurs get on the show. And this, I, I, is, this is the first one co-produced. Uh, once a month, I'm going to bring an episode that is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. And so they put you on that short list of first people. So you got to be good, man.
2: That's crazy, man. I feel Austin, the, the, the pressure of Austin sitting on my shoulders squarely. The, the, the <laughs>
1: whole world and beyond is now looking to Rob for coolness of Austin Tech. So, yeah. so yeah. Rob, tell us a little bit about your business and what what y'all do.
2: Sure. So um, Project 202 right now, uh, we are transforming um, experiences. And, and what that means is, is we have three different areas that we're looking at. Um, we're mainly focusing on tech, but what we're doing is we're doing research and studying um, the reality of the current user base. So, um, for entrepreneurs, I can pull it back into what that looks like in entrepreneurship, but it's really the psychology met melding with technology. The way I interact with Uber in uh, on a busy New York street is different than the way I interact with Uber um, on a slightly less busy Austin street. Um, so it's really examining what this, what the social pressures are of that technology experience and redefining it and building it better. Um, and making it a more cohesive uh, cohesive experience for, for users everywhere. We, we live in a world today where we interact with really cool technology at home, um, and then we come into work and we are dealing with these clunky legacy systems that don't <laughs> feel good and don't give you a good experience. Um, so we at Project 202 have taken that on, and we decided to whole-handedly demolish that experience, that bad experience, and try and revolutionize it.
1: You know, it's interesting the example that you use. I don't think, I mean, I use Uber a lot. I travel all over the country because what I do for a living is I'm a professional speaker and corporate trainer. So I go into companies and talk to their teams about getting more potential, getting more potential out of the group. And mm-hmm. I fly into these cities and I don't rent cars anymore. I use Uber constantly. But here's the thing that I've never thought about. Using Uber in Tulsa is actually different than using it in New York City. I've never thought about that either from my side of that experience or their side of that experience. So can you go a little deeper about what you guys do to, to make that work?
2: Yeah, sure, so so we work with, uh, God, just about every industry on earth, right? Um, but we have certain clients that we work with and and what we'll do is we'll go plop down, we call it a, a, an ESI team, but what that really is is it's a research team. They research what's happening on the ground. They um, observe the behaviors of the users in their natural environment, right? Um, and they also ask questions. So a lot of the times we go, we, we ask questions and stated behavior consistently again and again is different than observed behavior. Um, and that's really what sparked uh, a lot of this development and a lot of stuff we do. It was looking at behavioral sciences meets, um, computer science. Hmm. And now there's, there's this whole different behavioral computer science group that started starting to come out of this work that, um, you know, has slowly begun, but there's an actual name for it now. So it's, it's kind of coolness to me because back in the day when I went to school, right, I was, um, university, I was working on Y2K conversions at my (laughs) university time. So, um, thinking about psychology behind the systems was like, you know, nobody even thought about that uh, at the time, but now we're doing that and that, you know, that observed behavior, Um, is also piping back into entrepreneurship, Um, especially here in Austin. So if you can imagine the typical entrepreneurship, the way that everybody thinks of it is, you know, um, somebody sitting in a garage comes up with this good idea. They um, start to build a feature in their, you know, either in their mind or on a piece of paper. What is, what are the features of this good idea look like? Or what are the, what are the functions of this good idea? If it's a hardware, um, and then they figure out what technology they're going to use to build it. Um, and then they build it and they put it in the marketplace and they become billionaires and <laughs> the
1: rest don't, of life is Don't easy we all? There. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. Um, but the reality of the situation is what often happens is you fail uh, and you fail once and you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to re-envision the product and you have to do it over and over and over again. It's a process that exists. And that process is... Failing, you know, you want to fail fast, but sometimes you don't. And then you want to fail and you want to redevelop it and you want to re, re um, I guess, refine it, right? Um, but where Project 202 sits and, and really what sparked my interest about ever in coming on to this Project 202 um, philosophy was that if you could put that observed research behavior of that, that piece up front before you ever developed your features. Um, you could get a really clear idea of what you needed to plop in that particular industry to get it to succeed. So your your success rates were going to improve significantly over that. Um, and, that's, and that's, I think that came out of, you know, for me, it was my first company was a service company. And that went, that went well. We were just servicing what people needed. So we were completely adaptable. Um my second company was a software that was a middleware um, and after my sale of that su- second company I looked at it and thought why was that experience of that middleware software why was that different than the first one and why why did it feel easier you know it actually felt a lot easier and and the reason was because I had been working with um, two two large companies to develop uh, something that was similar um, a middleware piece. And I had used that concept for, for, uh, an engineering problem. And so I had known the, the, the industry and the observed behavior a, a little bit better than I did the first time. Um, and my third company that I came out with is, is a completely, is a bold next step, which is taking that concept to, to the consumer market. Um, but that concept is what project 202 does on a routine basis.
1: So were you always entrepreneurial as a kid? Were you the guy with the lemonade stand or selling baseball cards, stuff like that? Or is this something that came along after college?
2: Oh man, no. I, I was the kid that was selling golf balls at the golf course and walking uh, with my little wagon. And and uh, both my brother and I had grown up in a pretty tight knit family. And my, my brother is a managing partner now at, a, at an accounting firm. But he um, we both have this this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And we didn't, I don't think it's because both sides of my family were entrepreneurial. Um, I'm sure of that now, but there's, uh, there's also little things like, you know, when we wanted something, we, we, my mom would basically say, well, I don't have the money for it. So you need to figure out, you know, so I sold, yeah, I sold uh, golf balls when I was a kid. I sold little mirrors to people in middle school for their lockers. I anything there were numerous different things that i did along the way but it was uh monetizing things and how can i get a skateboard and how can i get other things and um my you know, funny enough, my brother and I were both in it, so it was he. T- he chose a different route; I chose an entrepreneurial route.
1: Yeah, but was- I work a lot with accounting firms and law firms, and to make it to managing partner, I mean, you would think, oh, accountants, well, they're they're not that entrepreneurial. But to end up being in the management of these firms, whether it's a small firm or a large firm, I mean, you're a businessman. You got you got to be entrepreneurial. You got to pivot. You you got to be willing Ooh. to take risks. And so, I think your brother's probably doing the same thing, just under a different umbrella.
2: Yeah, he uh, he did it under the specialty finance umbrella, which was which was interesting for him. Subprime loans and subprime lending was a, was a big market. And interestingly enough, that market um, functions just like it sounds fancy and everything else. It has the same problems that a standard brick-and-mortar store on the corner has. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's just innovating and pivoting and refining, this kind of refining process.
1: So you talked a little bit about failing and, 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 you know, figuring, retooling the process and failing again, this comes up a lot when I interview people. And a lot of people from the outside who've never started and grown a company, or even in my case, I'm, I'm a solopreneur. I work for myself, but I've failed many a times with many, a, a path I've gone down. A lot of people think, oh no, failure, that would crush me. I can't have my own business, but almost everyone I talks to talk to says they have failure along the way. So, so let's talk about that. How important do you think it is to be okay with failure?
2: So I think it, you have to – oh, this is, this is getting to the athlete in me, right? Um, I hate to fail. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I love it at the same time. It's this love-hate relationship that I have with it. And I find that um, you know when you, when you really put a lot of yourself into something and when you really have a, a, a vested interest in something and it fails – Man, does that feel terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, there's a part of it that I view as like a game. Like it's, I, I try to view this experience as a game and how can I best win, um, at it and w- what do I need to change? And, and I try to put, not, try to limit the amount of personal stock I put in a lot of things. Um, but also rest on my core values, right? So I think it's, it's important to fail and refine and get back up and, and um, continue to reinvent yourself because you know we're, we're on this earth a short period of time and how much can you learn is the way that I've always gone about it. So for me, getting into something and stumbling and falling and breaking things is not, um, it's a normality for me.
1: So I had someone tell me one time that about stumbling and falling. They said, you know, do you have kids? And I said, yes. And they go, when they were a baby and they were trying to stand up and they'd take their first step and they'd fall, did you look at them and go, loser? No, you were like, yay. Oh, that was so great. Yay. And he goes, that's what we need to do with people in their careers, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're an employee. You know, when they make those first little stumbles, we need to be like, yay, they tried something.
2: Yeah, and I actually so oddly enough, and, and I very rarely get into this, but uh, this I was in a yoga class one time, and this guy from New York was there teaching it, which kind of contradicts yoga. But
1: um, <laughs> yeah, I understand New Yorker led yoga is the new trend. It's going to follow goat goat yoga. The next thing is going to be New Yorker led goat yoga.
2: Yeah, and I think and I think it had some for me. It popped a light bulb off. But I was sitting next to somebody in and. and um, they had never done it before. And I said, no, 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 you got to do this. And you know, this is what it looks like. And I was trying to explain to them. And he looked at me and said, Rob, stay in your own vessel. Why are you trying to rob that experience from them? (laughs) And for me, it was like, holy shit. Okay. I guess I'll be quiet. Right. But it also was like, yeah, anytime I try to prevent somebody from hitting the brick wall that I can see them heading towards, it prevents them from learning in life. And I think that's true to As little kids as little trying to ride a bike you know you're gonna fall um but yet you do it anyway right and and sometimes um i have a a friend that's a psychologist and she says the pain of change has to be less than the current pain Mm -hmm. so if your current pain is is greater than the pain of change you're going to change right Mm -hmm.
1: So you mentioned that you said you kind of lit up when I was asking you about failure and you said, oh, the athlete in me is is clicking in. A lot of successful entrepreneurs who I've talked to on this show and in other places were competitive level athletes, either like professionally or just in their own mind sometimes. But well, what's, what's your athletic background?
2: Sure. So my grandfather actually played professional soccer in Germany and came here and started up um, really the world's first industrial recycling company. Hmm. And From there, he um, always had his hand in sports. So he owned half of the sports team, the Chicago soccer team, which back in the eighties was the Sting. Um, And uh, I was supposed to be a professional soccer player until I wanted to go into computers, which was not. (laughs) Not well received.
1: Grandpa was disappointed that you got a computer (laughs) science degree. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, uh -uh. (laughs) but but now I'm at least walking in my forties, so that's good. So, what
1: advice do you have for entrepreneurs before we got started you talked about sort of your three shades of entrepreneurship so what advice what's what's that about and then let's talk about specific advice for people who are trying to grow something
2: yeah and it, it's hard because my advice changes upon what I see um, so i, I I've, you know I've been around the block here with techstars Capital Factory, which are some incubator programs there um, and and I think that I always liked being like having people around me that were what I felt like better at something than me. Um, and, and I liked to learn. And I think that that oh, um, like the one thing I see is the ability to to learn. Um, some of the the people that have succeeded and kind of fought their way through this bubble that is entrepreneurship have always gone into it with a quest for learning and a scrappy nature. Um, so it's been kind of this fight and learn type of type of mentality. So that would probably be the one, one consistent thing that I've seen throughout the industry is just, you know, you, you only fail if you give up. Um, so just never give up. Right.
1: (laughs) And, And then what are your sort of three sections of entrepreneurship?
2: Um, by three sections, what do you mean?
1: Oh, you had said something before we started about sort of three areas. Oh, three, three phases. Three phases. I'm
2: sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was services. Uh, initially my, my first company I started up was a services company. Second one was a middleware company and third one was a consumer software company. So, um, it was those three evolutions, um, of, of myself, I guess I, I learned from each one of them and evolved and became better
1: do you think you're better in the third one because you were in the two other areas?
2: No, I just think I'm making different mistakes <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's um yeah. you know the it's it's funny because I had this realization the world that that I entered into my first um, company that the the landscape that I was in was you know, 2000s, the, the dot com boom, and uh, it was starting to, to, to burst and, and starting to get a little bit less lucrative. Uh, and then that market was very different. And, and you know, I was speaking with, with uh, somebody that I would consider a mentor, and they said, you know, um, kids that are coming out of college nowadays, they, they haven't been in that world, they, all they have seen is a world of, of prosperity and a world of, of goodness, right? You can go create your own fate. fate. There's opportunities. Um, the world I grew up in was uh, those opportunities were dwindling and shrinking. Um, and it was really a, kind of a squirt out to, to find yourself. And it was, for me, it was a different, it was a different learning experience and just an experience in general, um, but that, that market is what led me into the second com- company that I started, which was the middleware. And I think, you know, in looking at this and kind of trying to get a high level view of it. And if you look, I know you hear people talk about the free market, but the free, I believe in this free market. Um, I believe in the fact that it will correct itself and write itself. Um, and, and I think today is an testament to the writing that it did in the, in the, the past, you know?
1: So one of the things I talk about in companies is is I talk about this gap that is real for most people, not for everybody, between potential and results. So you know I, I talk to people, and most people tell me, yeah, I could probably be doing more in my career, or with my company, or with my team, or my team should be accomplishing more. So you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you've worked with a lot of companies. Why do you think some entrepreneurs go farther across the gap from their initial potential when they start their business and they go to huge success across, they skip right across it and other people fall into the abyss. What do you think that Delta is?
2: You know, I don't, it could be, um, it could be focus. Um, it, it could be commitment. Um, one thing that is pretty consistent and I've seen across the board is that, um, is that focus and consistency have been a a pretty good indicator of success in those those particular different
1: genres. Well, I've got a couple more questions before I let you go. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Rob Kesmerich. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Rob, we're we're co-producing today with the Austin Technology Council. So, I wanted to add a question into my regular sort of uh, interviews, and that is, what makes the Austin tech scene awesome? Why Why Austin?
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool
1: Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I started this show about four years ago, a little more than that, with the idea of bringing a wide variety of people to share their ideas, their thoughts, their nuggets of information, because I believe that success leaves clues. And so if you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to get around people who are doing really cool things so that you can be inspired. And that's what this show is all about. And this episode is co-produced With the Austin Technology Council. This is the first of many episodes we're gonna do where I'm gonna be bringing you some of Austin's most amazing entrepreneurs and people who are really contributing to this entrepreneurosphere that is happening here in Austin, Texas. And it doesn't matter if you live in Austin, if you live in the Silicon Valley, New York, Denver, any of the tech centers, or anywhere else, you know that Austin is the place to be. And so I'm gonna bring some of the coolest people onto the show. So, today is no different. Today, I have Rob Kesmerich, and he is the managing director of Project 202. Now, Rob and and the people he works with, they are transforming businesses by helping design better experiences. And I'm going to let Rob unpack some of that. Hey, Rob, welcome to Cool
2: Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. Man, you really built me up here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only the coolest entrepreneurs get on the show. And this is... This is the first one co-produced once a month. I'm going to bring an episode that is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. And so they put you on that short list of first people. So you got to be good, man.
2: That's crazy, man. I feel Austin, the the pressure of Austin sitting on my shoulders squarely. The the
1: whole world and beyond is now looking to Rob for coolness of Austin Tech. So so, Rob, tell us a little bit about your business and what what you all do.
2: Sure. So um, Project 202 right now, uh, we are transforming um, experiences. And and what that means is is we have three different areas that we're looking at. Um, we're mainly focusing on tech, but what we're doing is we're doing research and studying um, the reality of the current user base. So um, for entrepreneurs, I can pull it back into what that looks like in entrepreneurship, but it's really the psychology melding with technology. The way I interact with Uber in uh, on a busy New York street is different than the way I interact with Uber um, on a slightly less busy Austin street. Um, so it's really examining what this, what the social pressures are of that technology experience and redefining it and building it better um, and making it a more cohesive uh, cohesive experience for, for users everywhere. We, we live in a world today where we interact with really cool technology at home, um, and then we come into work and we are dealing with these clunky legacy systems that don't <laughs> feel good and don't give you a good experience. Um, so we at Project 202 have taken that on, and we decided to whole-handedly demolish that experience, that bad experience, and try and revolutionize it.
1: You know, it's interesting, the example that you use. I don't think, I mean, I use Uber a lot. I travel all over the country because what I do for a living is I'm a professional speaker and corporate trainer. So I go into companies and talk to their teams about getting more potential, getting more potential out of the group. And right. I fly into these cities and I don't rent cars anymore. I use Uber constantly. But here's the thing that I've never thought about. Using Uber in Tulsa is actually different than using it in New York City. I've never thought about that either from my side of that experience or their side of that experience. So can you go a little deeper about what you guys do to, to make that work?
2: Yeah, sure, so so we work with, uh, God, just about every industry on earth, right? Um, but we have certain clients that we work with and, and what we'll do is we'll go plop down, we call it a, a, an ESI team, but what that really is is it's a research team. They research what's happening on the ground. They um, observe the behaviors of the users in their natural environment, right? Um, and they also ask questions. So a lot of the times we go, we, we ask questions and stated behavior consistently again and again is different than observed behavior. Um, and that's really what sparked uh, a lot of this development and a lot of stuff we do. It was looking at behavioral sciences meets, um, computer science. Hmm. And now there's, there's this whole different behavioral computer science group that start at starting to come out of this work that, um, you know, has slowly begun, but there's an actual name for it now. So it's, it's kind of coolness to me because back in the day when I went to school, right, I was, um, university, I was working on Y2K conversions at my (laughs) university time. So, um, thinking about psychology behind the systems was like, you know, nobody even thought about that uh, at the time, but now we're doing that and that, you know, that observed behavior, Um, is also piping back into entrepreneurship, Um, especially here in Austin. So if you can imagine the typical entrepreneurship, the way that everybody thinks of it is, you know, um, somebody sitting in a garage comes up with this good idea. They um, start to build a feature in their, you know, either in their mind or on a piece of paper. What is, what are the features of this good idea look like? Or what are the, what are the functions of this good idea? If it's a hardware, um, and then they figure out what technology they're going to use to build it. Um, and then they build it, and they put it in the marketplace, and they become billionaires, and <laughs> the rest D- of life is Don't we all? There.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. Um, but the reality of the situation is what often happens is you fail, uh, and you fail once, and you have to go back to the drawing board, and you have to re-envision the product, and you have to do it over and over and over again. It's a process that exists. And that process is failing, you know, you want to fail fast, but sometimes you don't. And you want to fail and you want to redevelop it and you want to re, re um, I guess, refine it. Right. Um, but where project 202 sits and, and really what sparked my interest about ever in coming on to this project 202 um, philosophy was that if you could put that observed research behavior of that, that piece up front before you ever developed your features um, you could get a really clear idea of what you needed to plop in that particular industry to get it to succeed. So your, your success rates were going to improve significantly over that. Um, and, that's, and that's, I think that came out of, you know, for me, it was my first company was a service company. And that went, that went well. We were just servicing what people needed. So we were completely adaptable. Um, my second company was a software that was a middleware, um, and after my sale of that so- second company, I looked at it and thought, why was that experience of that middleware software? Why was that different than the first one, and why why did it feel easier? You know, it actually felt a lot easier, and and the reason was because I had been working with um, two two large companies to develop uh, something that was similar. Um, a middleware piece, and I had used that concept for, for uh, an engineering problem, and so I had known the 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 industry and the observed behavior a, a little bit better than I did the first time. Um, and my third company that I came out with is is a completely is a bold next step, which is taking that concept to to the consumer market. Um, but that concept is what Project Two Hundred Two does on a routine basis.
1: So were you always entrepreneurial as a kid? Were you the guy with the lemonade stand or selling baseball cards, stuff like that, or is this something that came along after college?
2: Oh man, no. I, I was the kid that was selling golf balls at the golf course and walking uh with my little wagon and, and uh both my brother and I had grown up in a pretty tight knit family, and my my brother is a managing partner now at a at an accounting firm, but he um we both have this this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And we didn't, I don't think it's because both sides of my family were entrepreneurial. Um, I'm sure of that now, but there's, uh, there's also little things like, you know, when we wanted something, we, we, my mom would basically say, well, I don't have the money for it. So you need to figure out, you know, so I sold, yeah, I sold uh, golf balls when I was a kid. I sold little mirrors to people in middle school for their lockers. I, I anything there were numerous different things that i did along the way but it was uh monetizing things and how can i get a skateboard and how can i get other things and um my you know, funny enough, my brother and I were both in it, so it was he. T- he chose a different route; I chose an entrepreneurial route.
1: Yeah, but was- I work a lot with accounting firms and law firms, and to make it to managing partner, I mean, you would think, oh, accountants, well, they're they're not that entrepreneurial. But to end up being in the management of these firms, whether it's a small firm or a large firm, I mean, you're a businessman. You got you got to be entrepreneurial. You got to pivot. You you got to be willing yeah. to take risks. And so, I think your brother's probably doing the same thing, just under a different umbrella.
2: Yeah, he uh, he did it under the specialty finance umbrella, which was which was interesting for him. Subprime loans and subprime lending was a, was a big market. And interestingly enough, that market um, functions just like it sounds fancy and everything else. It has the same problems that a standard brick-and-mortar store on the corner has. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's just innovating and pivoting and refining, this kind of refining process.
1: So you talked a little bit about failing and, 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 and you know, figuring re, retooling the process and failing again. This comes up a lot when I interview people, and a lot of people from the outside who've never started and grown a company, or even in my case, I'm, I'm a solopreneur. I work for myself, but I, I've failed many a times with many a, a path I've gone down. A lot of people think, oh, no, failure, that would crush me. I can't have my own business. But almost everyone I talks to, talk to says they have failure along the way. So, so let's talk about that. How important do you think it is to be okay with failure?
2: So I think it, you have to – oh, this is, this is getting to the athlete in me, right? Um, I hate to fail. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I love it at the same time. It's this love-hate relationship that I have with it. And I find that um, you know when you, when you really put a lot of yourself into something and when you really have a, a, a vested interest in something and it fails – man, does that feel terrible? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, there's a part of it that I view as like a game. Like it's, I, I try to view this experience as a game and how can I best win, um, at it and w- what do I need to change? And, and I try to put, no, try to limit the amount of personal stock I put in a lot of things. Um, but also rest on my core values, right? So I think it's, it's important to fail and refine and get back up and, and um, continue to reinvent yourself because, you know, we're, we're on this earth a short period of time and how much can you learn is the way that I've always gone about it. So for me, getting into something and stumbling and falling and breaking things is not um, – it's a normality for me.
1: So I had someone tell me one time that about stumbling and falling, they said, you know, do you have kids? And I said, yes. And they go, when they were a baby and they were trying to stand up and they'd take their first step and they'd fall, did you look at them and go, loser? No, you were like, yay. Oh, that was so great. Yay. And he goes, that's what we need to do with people in their careers, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're an employee. You know, when they make those first little stumbles, we need to be like, yay, they tried something.
2: Yeah. And I actually so oddly enough and and I very rarely get into this but uh, this I was in a yoga class one time and this guy from New York was there teaching it which kind of contradicts yoga. But
1: <laughs> yeah, I understand yeah. New Yorker led yoga is the new trend. It's going to follow goat goat yoga. The next thing is going to be New Yorker led yoga.
2: Yeah, and I think and I think it had some for me it popped a light bulb off, but I was sitting next to somebody in and um they had never done it before. And I said, no, 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 you got to do this. And you know, this is what it looks like. And I was trying to explain to them. And he looked at me, he said, Rob, stay in your own vessel. Why are you trying to rob that experience from them? And for me, it was like, holy shit. Okay. I guess I'll be quiet. Right. But it also was like, yeah, anytime I try to prevent somebody from hitting the brick wall that I can see them heading towards, it prevents them from learning in life. And I think that's true to As little kids as little trying to ride a bike you know you're gonna fall um but yet you do it anyway right and and sometimes um i have a a friend that's a psychologist and she says the pain of change has to be less than the current pain Mm -hmm. so if your current pain is is greater than the pain of change you're going to change right Mm -hmm.
1: So you mentioned that you said you kind of lit up when I was asking you about failure and you said, oh, the athlete in me is is clicking in. A lot of successful entrepreneurs who I've talked to on the show and in other places were competitive level athletes, either like professionally or just in their own mind sometimes. But well, what's, what's your athletic background?
2: Sure. So my grandfather actually played professional soccer in Germany and came here and started up um, really the world's first industrial recycling company. Hmm. And from there, he um, always had his hand in sports. So he owned half of the sports team, the Chicago soccer team, which back in the 80s was the Sting. Um, and uh, I was supposed to be a professional soccer player until I wanted to go into computers, which was not, <laughs> not was, well received.
1: Was, <laughs> gr- Grandpa was disappointed that you got a computer <laughs> science degree. Oh.
2: Uh, yeah, uh-uh. <laughs> but, um, but now I'm you know, wa- at least walking in my 40s. So that's <laughs> good. <laughs>
1: So, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? Before we got started, you talked about sort of your three shades of entrepreneurship. So, what advice? What's what's that about? And then let's talk about specific advice for people who are trying to grow something.
2: Yeah, and it, it's hard because my advice changes upon what I see. Um, so, I, I I've, you know, I've been around the block here with TechStars, Capital Factory, which are some incubator programs there, um, and. And I think that I always liked being like having people around me that were what I felt like better at something than me. Um, and, and I liked to learn. And I think that that um I'll, like the one thing I see is the ability to to learn. Um, some of the the people that have succeeded and kind of fought their way through this bubble that is entrepreneurship have always gone into it with a quest for learning and a scrappy nature. Um, so it's been kind of this fight and learn type of type of mentality. So that would probably be the one, one consistent thing that I've seen throughout the industry is just, you know, you, you only fail if you give up. Um, so just never give up. Right.
1: (laughs) And, And then what are your sort of three sections of entrepreneurship?
2: Um, by three sections, what do you mean?
1: Oh, you had said something before we started about sort of three areas. Oh, three, three phases. Three phases. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was, it was services. Uh, initially my, my first company I started up was a services company. Second one was a middleware company and third one was a consumer software company. So, um, it was those three evolutions, um, of of myself, I guess I, I learned from each one of them, and evolved and became better.
1: Do you think you're better in the third one because you were in the two other areas?
2: No, I just think I'm making different mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's um, yeah, you know, the, it's it's funny because I had this realization: the world that that I entered into, my first um, company that the the landscape that I was in was you know, two thousands, the, dot com boom. And, uh, it was starting to, to, to burst and and starting to get a little bit less lucrative. Uh, and then that market was very different. And, and, you know, I I was speaking with, with, uh, somebody that I would consider a mentor and they said, you know, um, kids that are coming out of college nowadays, they, they haven't been in that world. All they have seen is a world of, of prosperity and a world of, of goodness, right? You can go create your own fate. There's opportunities. Um, the world I grew up in was uh, those opportunities were dwindling and shrinking, um, and it was really a, kind of a squirt out to, to find yourself. And it was, for me, it was a different, it was a different learning experience and just an experience in general. Um, but that, that market is what led me into the second com- company that I started, which was the middleware. And I think, you know, in looking at this and kind of trying to get a high level view of it. And if you look, I know you hear people talk about the free market, but the free, I believe in this free market. Um, I believe in the fact that it will correct itself and write itself. Um, and, and I think today is an testament to the writing that it did in the, in the, the past, you know?
1: So one of the things I talk about in companies is is I talk about this gap that is real for most people, not for everybody, between potential and results. So you know, I, I talk to people, and most people tell me, "Yeah, I could probably be doing more in my career or with my company or with my team, or my team should be accomplishing more." So you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you've worked with a lot of companies. Why do you think some entrepreneurs? go farther across the gap from their initial potential when they start their business and they go to huge success across, they skip right across it and other people fall into the abyss. What do you think that Delta is?
2: You know, I don't, it could be, um, it could be focus. Um, it, it could be commitment. Um, one thing that is pretty consistent and I've seen across the board is that, um, is that focus and consistency have been a, a pretty good indicator of success in those, those particular different
1: genres. Gotcha. Well, I've got a couple more questions before I let you go. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Rob Kesmerich. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Rob, we're, we're co-producing today with the Austin technology council. So I wanted to add a question into my regular sort of uh, interviews and that is what makes the Austin tech scene? Awesome. Why, why Austin?
2: (laughs) Man, you know, I, so I grew up in Chicago, um, and and moved to Austin in what, 2003, 2002 and Austin was a very different city than it, it, than it, it kind of is now. (laughs) Um, I was just speaking about this. I almost think you could do anything in Austin and, and be successful. That, that was my feeling. And that's what always has been a consistent feeling since I got here. It's been a city that's been growing and been innovative and you have the university here. It's a university town. Um, So you have this free thinking uh, mentality mixed with um, industry and I think there's a lot of opportunity here because there's a lot of different, it's a transient city. There's a lot of people here that have moved here from different areas and they bring, um, a lot of, a lot of qualities into the city that you don't, you know, I feel like a lot of cities get groupthink um, and and start to think consistently alike and, and that needs to be broken up. And I think Austin has the ability to be broken up through the university in the, in the early days. And now, um, through the innovation and the, the technology that's moving in,
1: yeah, and I think it is true that you know with with so many people, I moved here in 1991. There were 800,000 people in the greater area. There's yeah. now 2.2 or 2.3 million people in the greater area, and of course we've built one road. So uh, <laughs> you know, so that yeah. that's a the traffic has become a, a big difference than it was 27 years ago when I moved here, but. Well,
2: and, and don't even get me started on that because I think it's like a, it's a technology problem. Traffic is a technology problem. Uh, <laughs> but but, that,
1: but, but with, with all these people who move here, even in 91, it was a very yeah. welcoming city. Like there are some <laughs> cities that I had friends who moved to and people said, oh, careful, because you didn't grow up there. You're not third generation. You didn't go to the local university. Well, I went to college in California. I wasn't a local kid. I had no ties to Texas it at is. all. And people sort of opened up their hearts in their homes and were very friendly. And I think that still exists. As you fast forward to now a town of over two million, I think it's, it's very welcoming. But I saw Dr. Stephen Tomlinson speak the other day, and he was talking about this culture for tech in Austin, but he said it's a two-way street. We're welcoming you to come and start up and be part of us, but we also have this expectation of people uh, who come to Austin. And So what do you want to get involved with? What do you want to do? Do you see that? Do you see people who come here want to serve Austin and serve the greater good?
2: Yeah, I, I do see that. And and like you, when I moved here, I mean, I sat through a green light and nobody beeped at me, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is crazy. And you could tell from the traffic when school was in session and when it wasn't. I mean, it was, it was a smaller, um, smaller play. But I think that that is community is certainly something at Project 202 that we push on and um, serving the community, bettering the community. I think that that is something that is – it is well received in Austin. And, you know, with all the influx of new people, it, it is, it is very much a, Hey, this is where I came from. This is where I'm at. And let's do something to help each other. Cause at the end of the day, we're all living in the same city, dealing with the same things. Um, and we can either choose to get mad at each other, which, which happens in some cities, but it doesn't seem to happen as much here in, in Austin for some reason.
1: I did a little informal survey a couple of years back of what was the number one question asked at a networking event? Cause Austin's a big connectivity town. People are always mm-hmm. showing up at these high tech happy hours, you know, down on Sixth street or, or, you know, things up by the Austin technology council and things like that, that are going on. People are always showing up. So I, I did a little survey of what people asked at networking events. And the number one question was how long have you lived in Austin?
2: <laughs> right. And, and, uh, it's when I first moved here. I found a local Austin group that just through stumbling around. But those the people that were originally from Austin or had been here really really long time they would always point you to these little like hole in the wall things that you would have no clue existed and you would go there and it would have, be this great experience and um, those little things were amazing and now I feel like um, Austin has new cool little things that. The people from who have lived in Austin are now finding from the people that are moving to Austin what cool cool new things are popping up. So it's this kind of hand-helping-hands type of – Yeah, uh,
1: absolutely, and there's constantly new restaurants that people are telling me, and I'm like, I've never heard of that. I used to know every yeah. restaurant in town. It's like I've never heard of these restaurants. So uh, yeah. it, it is a town that is that is growing and stuff like that. So it's, it's, I, I've been here a long time. I don't, I don't plan to go anywhere soon. So, Rob, I called a show cool things entrepreneurs do. What's the coolest thing you're doing these days?
2: Oh, geez. Well, I, I think that now that um, I've been putting on this, this behavioral computer science hat, um, I've been doing a lot of research around and even just reading anything I can read, but also looking at myself and wondering why I buy the things I buy and why I do the things I do. Um, and starting to question um, what those, why those things are happening, um, and it—I think it's given me some insight into why I make decisions and, and how I make decisions. And um, it, it's, it's consuming technology, why I consume the technology I consume, and why I don't um, consume other forms of technology is kind of one of these things I've been looking at nowadays. So studying my social media habits.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which we all probably should do on on some level. So Rob, I love to ask entrepreneurs who come on this show, I love to ask them who out in the world of entrepreneurs they admire, because I really believe that great entrepreneurs, people who are truly sort of uh, the people with that spark inside them, I, I think they're observers. And so I like to ask, who do you see out there, whether it's local or national or international, where you say, she or he, they're doing the cool stuff?
2: You know, honestly, um, I had the I had the the great opportunity to to uh, run into Jean Paul Gioria, who's one of the founders of Paul Mitchell, and and he has just an amazing story, and it's it's pretty it's pretty cool, and it's pretty uh, enlightening. Is you know, he grew up in the, the California and the Nasty, hard neighborhoods, joined a street gang, and kind of was the scrapper type. And um, I see that now in in how he's built these businesses and, and the things that he's done. And that to me, and, he, and also he's local Austin guy, um, lives here now. And that to me was, I think his his ethics around the companies he's he's created and, and his business propositions has been um, you know something that I looked at and. He's very admirable.
1: Well, he, you know he's famous for being one of the co-founders of Paul Mitchell Hair Products, but he's also invested in a ton of companies. He's been sort of behind the scenes in Austin and Austin Tech even for you know well over a decade, and people don't necessarily know that that he's sort of there advising a lot of people. So I, I love it when people point out sort of the people who are behind the curtain.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of those in Austin. I mean, there's Clayton Christopher. Deep Betty and Sweetleaf Leaf Tea. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of those guys here that have little, little funds that they, I call them little funds, but they're really not little funds, <laughs> uh, but they do a lot of mentoring too. And, and I think that that, you know, that, that commitment to giving back um, is something that I think is very admirable too.
1: So you talk about mentoring. Anybody who listens to this show regularly knows that this is a hot-button topic. When I speak to young professionals groups, whether it's at like an association who has a, like a millennials special conference for their young professionals or inside a company where they're doing training, uh, they'll line up eight people deep after I talk about mentoring. So this is something that the younger professionals are, are really hungry for, and really they don't teach that when we're in school. I mean I, I went to San Diego State. There wasn't a class like 101 how to find a mentor. Uh but you know, I, I certainly see it with I, I mentor two gentlemen. I talk about a lot about them on the show because they've just been around forever. I mean, I met them when they yeah. were just out of college, and seven years later they're like my fake sons. Uh, but <laughs> they will tell you that they have made life choices and career choices uh, that have helped them because they have someone to turn to and just bounce things off. I don't tell them what to do, but you know, I'm old. So I've seen mistakes and they're like, how did you know? And it's like, cause I either made that mistake or my friends made that mistake. So mentorship I think is hugely important and you touched on it a couple of times. So what do you want to add about the power and the importance of mentorship, whether it's from the mentee side or the mentor side?
2: So I think that the way we typically view mentorship is I am, um, looking to, uh, almost like I, I would get a C-level uh, executive to mentor me to be a C-level executive. And I think that in some ways I agree with that, in some ways I don't. But um, I, I did a mentorship program with David Lockwood, who's a, a CEO of Cobham. And and that uh, and, and I know our, the Project 202 CEO, David Lancashire, did one with Alan Sugar um, when he was out of business school. And I think that that was the old way of doing it, I think I have now I look at mentorship like I have the people that help me make um a, a rounded a well-rounded decision. So I mentor people that are younger than me, and I feel like those people that are younger than me mentor me inadvertently, right? And, and that's it, what I—that's
1: like, what I say about Nick and Jake. They have no idea that I learn as much from them as they learn yeah, from me.
2: It's—it's it's like this. So it's—it's it's not a top-down approach to mentoring. I think that mentoring is get a group of people that can give you a, a well-rounded view on your gaps. I always look for my gaps. Where am? I, what am I missing? Um, you know, and and where am I? Um, kind of stumbling i even even on this interview today i have one of one of my guys jeff shoemaker who's in here and and he's listening to me and afterwards i'm going to ping him on what did i miss what what came across wrong um you know i think it's that constant um evolving wanting to better um yourself that you you should go about and i think mentoring is 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 the only way you get a perspective on that
1: And I want to add that, like, I also, in addition to the people I mentor, I've had great mentors along the way. But then for the last five years, I've also had sort of a peer to peer mastermind group, which really all they are is my equals. And we have a little foursome that is like each other's board of directors for our businesses. And we basically mentor each other. I mean, I don't make really big decisions uh, you know, if I'm changing my website or a brand new video, I don't, I don't publish the big things without them going, Oh, why don't you do it this way? And vice versa. So we're all very involved in that. And they've all been on this show at one time or another, but it is, it is very true that there's different ways to get mentor. It can be peer to peer. It can be older to younger. It can be younger to older. Uh, it can be across industry lines. You don't have to be in the same industry. So I, I think it's just a really important topic. And because you touched on it, I wanted to bring it back up.
2: Yeah, no, and I think the non-industry, non-specific industry is going to be a good one, too, because that helps you get different perspectives from different areas. People have different pressures in different areas. Get you out of your bubble, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Rob,
1: I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for giving your time. Do you have any last words of wisdom for the people who are listening?
2: Oh, geez, you're going to tee me up like that. Um, (laughs) No, just keep on fighting. I mean, uh, keep keep on trucking, you know.
1: Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. If it wasn't for the audience, there'd be no reason for the show. And I have enjoyed doing Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do for now well over four years and 400 episodes. And I'm really excited about this ongoing partnership. Once a month, we're going to bring you a show uh, featuring a member of the Austin Technology Council. So make sure the first Thursday of each month, uh, as long as we're doing this, you will tune in and and hear some wisdom from the uh, local market here where I live in Austin, Texas. So – If you like the show, jump over to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, Leave one of those review comments. Uh, No other reason than it just makes my day better when someone leaves a positive comment. Uh, If you want to find out more information about me, if your company is having issues and you need to bring a speaker in to sort of motivate and get people focused on potential or on how to get more engaged in your community, go to TomSinger.com, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And I'm on all the social medias, uh, including the show has its own Twitter page, at Cool Podcast. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days, and there are more great interviews coming all month long. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you, like I always do, go out there and try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day.
0: Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.